Welcome to the Politics of Special Forces podcast. In this 10-part limited series, join me, Kevin D. Stringer, and me, Christian Breed, as we examine just what Special Operations Forces, or SOF, does, and how that might need to change as we move into this new era of great power competition. In each episode, we will discuss an issue that relates to this broad objective, interviewing practitioners and scholars who have lived and studied this important capability and ask what needs to change, what should stay the same. We hope that in each episode, we can bridge the gap between soldiers, scholars, and policymakers, bringing informed opinion and ideas to this important discussion. In this episode, our fourth in this series, Kevin and I sit down with Colonel Tom Bilo of the Belgian Defense Force. Colonel Bilo is currently serving as the commander of the Belgian Special Operations Regiment. He has spent most of his career working within the Special Operations Forces community, having commanded at the platoon, company, and battalion levels, as well as in the schools and staff as an instructor and member of the general staff. A former Deputy Director of Belgian Special Operations Command, Colonel Bilo is slated to become the next Director of the Belgian Special Operations Command in the fall of 2021. As you can imagine, Colonel Bilo is a busy man. We were very fortunate to be able to steal some of his time and have him share his thoughts on the evolution and positioning of Belgian Special Operations Forces, or BELSOF, within the Special Operations Forces community, as well as the NATO Alliance in general. In this episode, we pull out several key takeaways to include the importance of having and maintaining a national integrated Special Operations Forces capability, as well as the idea that Special Operations Forces never work alone, both in terms of working with other Special Operations Forces units from around the world, as well as within a national joint context. As always, check out our show notes for details on some of the sources we discuss in this episode, and many thanks to the Centre for International Defence Policy at Queen's University for their post-production and inclusion of this series as part of the ongoing Kingston Consortium on International Security. And now, our conversation with Colonel Tom Bilo. Colonel Bilo, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a real pleasure today to have uh, someone from uh, outside the norm in terms of what, we're, what we tend to hear on these podcasts, which is you know, Canadian and American perspectives, and to have a European perspective and in particularly one from Belgium, I think will be really insightful. And I'm really excited to hear um, uh, where this conversation goes. So, uh, so Colonel Vila, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Politics of Special Forces podcast. So thank you very much for, uh, for these kind words of introduction and uh, also for the invitation to take part in uh, this series. So for me, it's really a, a honor and a pleasure to contribute and uh, to get the opportunity to share some aspects of the development of our uh, soft capacity. So being closely involved in the evolution of our national soft capability and considering uh, the many security challenges we face, I truly believe that sharing experiences, however small, is very beneficial. So thank you for this, for this opportunity. Wonderful. No, and we, we fully agree. And this, that's the whole impetus for this project is, is really to get ideas out there and hopefully shape policy. Um, so we can get right to it. And our first question is, you know, what was the rationale for the stand-up of a unique Special Operations Forces Command in Belgium? I'd love to get your take on that, sir. Yes, uh, so why did we stand up a unique soft command in Belgium? The, the answer is probably very similar to the reasons that drove other nations to introduce it. Belgian armed forces are not so different uh, from the others. I think that the, the main reason uh, is probably that as soft is joined by nature, 
you need a unique joint command to take care of it. Joint, because software is generally composed of forces coming from the different services, Army, Air Force, Navy, and for Belgium, uh, also the medical service, which is a separate component. This sounds very logical, but is very often far from easy to obtain. So indeed, each service or component will naturally prioritize the development of its own typical capabilities. It will invest in what they know best in their own area of expertise. The Army will focus on its heavy vehicles, guns, and large combat formations. The Air Force is mainly concerned with replacing its jets, strategic transport fleet, and mail drones. And the attention of the Navy mainly goes to new frigates and other large platforms. As things stand, none of the services feel inclined to share power with other components and therefore invest in capabilities that they will not fully control. And the same is true when we look at force readiness or employment. Again, each service is pushing to commit its own capabilities when it comes to conducting operations. Being committed to operations means that you are useful and worth further investment. The result is that without a unique soft command, no one really cares about soft as a joint entity. The services that do have soft see it just as one of their capabilities and in most cases do not see the need to give it greater attention or priority. Furthermore, how to properly use SOF is often only partially known by the conventional service headquarters. As a result, SOF are often ill-employed or underemployed and find themselves performing tasks that should be done by conventional forces. Therefore, there is definitely a place for a joint soft command, and particularly when we consider capability development, readiness, or operational employment. But to change this situation and convince political and senior military leaders to create a new command, in most cases, you need a trigger. Very often, the acceptance of the creation of a soft command was initiated or accelerated by an external factor. US SOCOM, for example, came into being as a consequence of Operation Eagle Claw to rescue the hostages held in Tehran in 79. This operation painfully demonstrated the need for a single Special Operations Forces Command to ensure interoperability among the various forces that could work together in a crisis. And the example of US SOCOM was subsequently followed by many other nations. In Belgium, the recent creation of a soft command was, I think, a combination of different factors. On the one hand, there were a handful of officers who were convinced that this was the way to go and who pleaded at the staff level to go 
in this direction. There was also some indirect pressure from NATO where special operations are considered as a separate component. On the other hand, there was the changing security environment. As you know, Belgium was hit several times in the period 2014-2016 by terrorist attacks, killing many innocent people. The army, and especially the special forces, had to reinforce the police. At the same time, Europe and NATO had to deal with hybrid threats on their eastern border, especially in Ukraine. And this worrying phenomenon was accompanied by growing security problems on the southern flank of Europe. The Arab Spring, instability in the Sahel region, and the rise of Daesh in the Levant were another important security focus to our Western democracy. All this led to the elaboration of a strategic vision document for 2030. This document, published by our Ministry of Defense, set the basis for the modernization of the Belgian armed forces. It foresaw the introduction of new major equipment for the land forces, F-35 jets and Reaper drones for the Air Force and the replacements of the Navy's fleet of frigates and minesweepers. The document also included an important paragraph on special operation forces. The Special Operations Forces Command was to be established to better manage special operations. Investments were planned for the Tier 1 SL group, and two paracommander battalions would be transformed into soft units. Special attention would also be attached to soft enablers, including the acquisition of a number of short takeoff and landing aircraft specific to Special Operations Forces. Actually, this document led to the creation of the Belgian SOCOM, and it was also the start of a large soft transformation project. The former Light Brigade was rebranded into Special Operations Regiment. Much more than just a name change, this initiated a series of changes in multiple domains. It started with the selection and basic education of the paracommandos, which had now to evolve from elite airborne soldiers into special operations forces. More importance had to go to their mindset, focusing on soldiers' autonomy, creativity, responsibility, and also individual skills. The transformation also had a big impact on the training. Next to its legacy role of rapid reaction force, the regiment had now to focus on the training of special operations, including direct action, special reconnaissance and military assistance. Additional equipment was purchased to address the new mission set. We procured new individual equipment, vehicles, weapons, drones, night vision, radios, and also the equipment to work in very specific environments, such as cold weather, maritime, desert, or jungle environments. Quite obviously, the transformation had also consequences on the organization of the regiment. The former elite infantry paracommander companies 
which were all identical, had to specialize in different roles related to missions and environments. Some specialized in maritime, amphibious and very cold weather missions, and other had to focus on special reconnaissance, mobility or counter-terrorism missions. To achieve this, the battalions were reinforced with new capabilities, such as combat divers, pathfinders, light boats, drones, and advanced search capacity. Many tactics and procedures had also to be adapted. The aim was to make SF Group, Paracommando, and enablers completely complementary and compatible with each other. Soon, they would have to work together in the same special operations task group in the most challenging circumstances. To do this and to ensure better interoperability between the units, the training program was adapted and foresaw more opportunities to train together. Air Force, Navy and Medical Service were also integrated in this evolution. The idea was really to form a close-knit team of teams to use General McChrystal's expression. To do this, SOCOM, as the Joint Special Operations Forces Command, had to function as an integrator, bringing together special forces, paracommandos and enablers, as well as special operations forces capabilities found in the Army, Air Force, Navy and Medical Service. And this to achieve not just an addition of capabilities, but a true force multiplier. That's wonderful, Colonel Bilo. Thank you so much for that. Uh, those those insightful comments. One of the things that really jumps out at me is the the idea of learning from alliance partners. Um, you know, this notion of a need for integration, and I'll touch on that in a second. Um, that came somewhat from 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 your own national experience, but also observing the experience of of primarily the United States coming to that same conclusion. I think it's really interesting that we see that learning happening across our partners and across the alliances and the various relationships that we form. Um, but really this, this speaks very, very well to our first sort of key takeaway for this, uh, this episode, which is that we need, SOF needs to have an integrating function to really be optimized. And I think that's what really comes forward in your, your remarks on sort of the evolution of, of Belgian SOF in particular. That's very, very interesting. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, Kevin, over to you. Um, I really appreciated your uh, comprehensive explanation of Belgium Special Operations Command, the need for its development. I recall when we were able to work together uh, as partners when you were the project officer establishing the concept, and it remains very fascinating for me. One of the things you've noted, you, you've, you've looked at it from a national level, but Belgium is, is embedded, Belgium Special Operations Forces is embedded within a larger construct, the, the NATO Special Operations Forces construct. And in fact, uh, NATO Special Operations Headquarters is even in Mons, Belgium, but there's a larger construct that you fit into. Can you talk about your experience, uh, Belgium Special Operations Forces, Belgium SOCOM within this wider NATO construct? Yes, of course. Um, and, and international cooperation uh, has become increasingly fundamental to planning and execution of military operations. And for small nations as Belgium, even the norm, more and more the norm. NATO SOF has been of great help in our soft transformation endeavor. 
and has always supported all our initiatives at different levels. To start at a strategic level, uh, we have the NATO Defense Planning Process or NDPP. Uh, the NDPP is a process that drives capability development within NATO. It ensures coherence all over the alliance and keeps pace with the changing security environment. With the commonly accepted principles of fair burden sharing and reasonable challenge, each nation is expected to effectively deliver its respective contribution by achieving the imposed objectives or targets. In the last decade, the NDPP called for an increase in soft capability, which has helped us as Belsoft to move forward, even in times when we had still no soft command. More explicitly, NATO suggested developing soft command and control capability, which was a clear hint towards the national decision makers. The NATO capability codes and statements helped us to better define the desired level of ambition for our own soft formations and guide their training and capability development. NDPP also encouraged us to develop niche capacities such as maritime soft, not to forget they keep coming back to the importance of soft air, in particular, the development of a soft rotary wing capability remain a focus, which is regularly highlighted. This was at the strategic level. At the operational and tactical level, NATO has also helped a lot in building the capacity. With the NATO Special Operations Headquarters in the lead, soft doctrine has made enormous progress, starting from the overarching doctrinal documents to very practical tactical manuals and handbooks, the documents they provided were extremely helpful. The more that the common doctrine greatly facilitates mutual understanding and interoperability between partners. The NATO soft school created by NSHQ played an important role in this as well, as it provided a large number of courses aiming at introducing a sort of common soft language. Indirectly, by bringing people together for the classes, NSHQ also boosted networking and contributed to a global soft network. On the field of operations, many officers and NCOs had also the opportunity to accomplish a tour in NATO-led operations, as for example, NATO Special Operations Component Command Afghanistan. This was also an excellent opportunity to learn more about NATO soft in general and more in particular about the functioning of an operational staff. For specific functions, some even got the occasion to accomplish a short duration tour in shadow position. Also a unique way to gain experience, certainly for small nations as we are. On top of this, the international soft exercises organized between NATO partners also stimulate progress. To name but some of them, we have called response organized in Norway, Lowlands in the Netherlands, Eugenie in France, not to forget Pegasus in Belgium. These are excellent occasions to share good practices, to learn from each other, and eventually also to build a strong network. 
it allows us to bring many assets to the same exercise, to realize synergies and to maximize the output leading to very beneficial win-win situations. In the same vein, it's also worth to mention the biannual NATO soft commanders conferences, which is another excellent platform to discuss and to develop common view on plenty of topics. Soft commanders meet each other on regular and regularly and build strong relations. These conferences facilitate exchanges at many levels, from procurement of equipment, exercises, to even operational deployments. So anyway, the answer on your question is yes, NATO has definitely helped us a lot and opened many doors in the development of our soft capability and is still doing so. Tom, I really appreciate that overview. Uh, you highlighted not only NATO, but I think more importantly, what we both call the global soft network. Uh, I'd like to, like to do a follow-on question that's closely related. Um, was just recently reading in the press, I was aware about it before, that you've received a lot of publicity for your participation in the Tri-Nation Combined Special Operations Component, Component Command Headquarters, what we call the CSOC. And it meets a command and control headquarters requirement, I think both for Belgium, NATO, and this wider network. So was wondering if you could talk about the CSOC, how the partners came together, your main challenges, and then how does it look for the future in terms of sustainability for this very unique uh, Special Operations Component Command headquarters? Yes, indeed. The, the Composite Special Operations Component Commands is, is one of the initial main achievements of our recently uh, created Belt SOCOM and also its Dutch and Danish counterparts. Actually, it all started in the fall of 2013, when during a, SOF, a NATO soft commanders conference in Norway, the delegates of four nations were invited to a sidebar with a representative of NSHQ. The four nations were Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Denmark. At this time, NSHQ was looking to ways to increase NATO soft command and control capacities. The idea was to generate more special operations component commands to support NATO's operations. And the very idea of the CSOC was a recommendation resulting from a master's degree research paper written by Canadian Lieutenant Colonel Bob Berube, who was assigned to the NATO Special Operations Headquarters Command's Action Group at the time. He concluded his paper that it was too difficult and complex to bring together random nations to form a combined SOC. His advice was to motivate like-minded smaller nations to work together to create this capability. So after initial consent from the senior military leaders of the four nations, a feasibility study was conducted. The working group met for the first time in Ottawa in early 14, and the results were encouraging. A few months later, Canada decided to leave the project, but the other three nations felt it was worth continuing. And very soon, Considering the complexity of the project, a structure was stood up to work it out. 
there were three levels, a steering group, a management team, and a number of working groups. The steering group consisted of the three SOCOM commanders and was there to give direction and guidance and to make decisions. The main body was the management team. This team consisted in a tri-national panel of colonels or lieutenant colonels who had to manage the progresses of the project. They were in charge of the general coordination. They had to task the subordinate working groups and had to report to the steering group. A number of working groups in charge of personnel, equipment, CIS, finances, training, and support helped them. Anyway, in each domain, they had multiple challenges and obstacles to overcome. To name but some of them, as everything was based on the principle of equal burden and responsibility sharing, the Human Resources Working Group had, for example, to establish a perfectly balanced organization chart, where the three nations would get the same number of slots and where they had an equivalent weight in terms of ranks and positions. As CSOC would be more than a one shot, the positions would in the future rotate between the three nations. Another challenge was to find, to educate and to prepare the people that would form the staff. None of the three nations had a sufficient number of soft educated personnel to staff the many positions that had to be filled. So for each position, a job description was established. And once designated, the person was encouraged to attend all the courses that were foreseen in the job description. We got a tremendous support from NATO, NSHQ and NATO Soft School for this. And ultimately, all the personnel got educated and trained in their respective domains. Also challenging, was to find a way to communicate and share the information. You can imagine when it concerns secured communication and exchange of classified information between nations, everything gets more difficult. Eventually solutions were found and the necessary CIS equipment was commonly procured. CSOC was a very ambitious project. To succeed, it was important to have the support from the higher levels. And this was the case. The three ministers of defense signed a letter of intent already in 2017 and formalized the project in 2018 with a formal memorandum of understanding, which really facilitated the endeavor. The initial objective was to prepare CSOC for a NATO response force commitment. And to achieve this, an ambitious multi-year training schedule was established. CSOC participated in big NATO exercises as, uh, for example, Trident Jackal or Steadfast Jupiter, Steadfast Jaguar, to name but uh, some of them. And finally, after having conducted multiple exercises under scrutiny of the NATO Special Operations Headquarters, CSOC was declared full operational capable end 2020 to become NATO Response Forces SOC in 2021. After its initial standby period, the aim is now to share the CSOC experience with other NATO partners 
and where possible also to sustain them. The intent is also to offer CSOC for another NATO commitment in the future, maybe within four to six years. And therefore, we will keep CSOC in good shape, maintaining the knowledge and equipment operational in order not to lose what we have built. Uh, I can also say that this was really a wonderful experience of NATO partners working together, building close bonds of friendship and in some way also paving the way for other partners. Tom, thank you so much for, for elaborating on the CSOC concept for our listeners. Uh, I'd highlight it. It's, it's very much in, uh, falls in the field of soft innovation. And interesting is the linkage to research, how the original idea came from a master's uh, thesis from an officer, a Canadian officer, as I understood you, that generated such an initiative. And now we have a additional headquarters and command and control capacity, uh, not only for the three countries you mentioned, but also for NATO or potentially other, other requirements. Um, I think with that, Christian, I, I pass it back over to you. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. I just want to highlight, you know, that really shows the importance of, uh, of professional military education. You know, it, it's, it's wonderful to see those initiatives from, from serving officers who are given the space and time to sit and reflect on their profession to put, you know, proverbial pen to paper, or in this case, I guess, fingers to keyboards. And, and get their ideas out there and actually affect uh, real change. And of course, and I'm going to flag this, I, I'm curious why, uh, why Canada uh, chose not to continue to take part in, in this interesting initiative. And I think it'd be worth exploring as well. But we've spo- we spent a lot of time, uh, Colonel Bilo, talking a lot about how Bellsoft integrates with its allies and other partners around the world. Um, I'd like to take a little bit of time now and drill down into the national question and ask a question uh, with, relate, w- with respect to how you have experienced Belsoft integrating with other elements within the Belgian Defence Force. How has that gone forward? How has that been experienced? How, what are the, 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 the mechanisms you've put in place to ensure that integration happens uh, just as smoothly as it seems to happen uh, at the international level? Yes, indeed. Integrating a new player into an existing team is always a challenge. It's about managing change and the natural reluctance of people to change their habits. And to understand this challenge and also the frictions that go along with it, it is important to have some background information about the structure. So the Belgian model of soft organization has a SOCOM integrated in the joint staff, but has the soft units still depending from the services. The SOCOM is a soft advisor of the Chief of Defense and of the larger defense staff. It is the central hub for everything which we go to soft and is responsible to maintain the coherence throughout the national soft structure. SOCOM is the primary point of contact for joint, combined and interagency cooperation. SOCOM also conducts strategic foresight and contributes to the planning and direction of special operations. On the other hand, the services remain responsible for the readiness of the forces, with the biggest part, the Special Operations Regiment under the Army. So, the implementation of this new soft structure involved a double challenge. On the one hand, SOCOM had to find its place within the joint staff, and on the other hand, the relationship between SOCOM and the services had to be clearly defined. 
Having a new partner within the joint staff where procedures had long been well established was not so obvious. At first, it certainly caused some friction with the other divisions as SOCOM began working partly in their backyard. Emotions, miscommunication and prejudice played a big role in this. However, with a lot of communication and support from the senior management, SOCOM gradually gained acceptance from the other divisions. Credibility is not something you get, but something you have to earn. The good working relation between SOCOM and the services was even more difficult to achieve. Initially, SOCOM was clearly seen as a competitor. The services had the impression to lose control on some of their capacities and they didn't like it. After four years, the situation is getting better, although issues continue to rise now and then, often caused by individuals who still do not accept the idea of a soft capacity with specific responsibilities and attributions. But I'm convinced that this will gradually become more accepted over time. Anyway, in both cases, integration of SOCOM in the joint staff and the establishment of good working relations with the services it is paramount to have open communication and to show the benefit of the new structure through deeds and not only with words. This said, and having highlighted the importance of combined and multinational cooperation and discussed the joint aspect of SOF, it is important to stress the importance of interagency cooperation, certainly on the national soil. Military culture and doctrine teach us to conduct joint and combined operations, but the interagency part usually remains the poor relation. Globalization with its constant information flows and nearly unlimited mobility has led us to a non-linear and interconnected field of action. A threat facing our forces in a distant operational theater can be found active a few days later in our homeland. And such was the case for foreign terrorist fighters who were first seen in Iraq or Syria and then in Belgium. A similar situation could easily occur in other asymmetric or hybrid contexts. Obviously, good interoperability between the different national security actors is therefore becoming crucial. And information gathered by one service can be of great importance to others. SOCOM has an important role to play in persuading partners to overcome the hurdles of stovepipe and parochial thinking. Colonel Bielo, thank you so much for that. That really, I think, addresses nicely the uh, the third key takeaway from this, uh, this episode, which is that of the importance of SOF acting not only in partnership with Alliance uh, SOF capabilities, but also with, uh, with within a joint context with their own, with their own national forces. Um, and I think you, you've highlighted some of the, the growing pains that probably sound all too familiar. Uh, for other soft, country, soft capabilities around the world. Uh, so thank you very much for that. You've been very generous with your time, sir. Um, I think we can, we can call it full time here. Um, thank you so much for providing your insightful views on, on how um, Special Operations Forces has been conceived upon and, and implemented and integrated within uh, the Belgian context. This is really enlightening. Thank you so much for joining us.